0: Kia ora, podcast people. How you doing? Kei te I don't know if there's one of you or Koto, if there's a bunch of you listening. I don't know. Uh, and kia ora, video people. Awesome to have you connecting in, which is super good. So good on you for uh, investing in your relationship with Jesus. Gold stars all around. Um, hey, so we're starting our Christmas series today, if you didn't guess, because it says Christmas at Agora on the screen. <laughs> um, out. I'm trying to preach. Focus. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. All right. See you later, Benito. If it was anyone else, I'd feel bad, but it's you, so I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> no, nah, good, eh? Hey, so, yeah, um, so, uh, as you know, we've been going through these posters over the year, and so we're up to the first eight. Um, so that's why we're leading into Christmas, so that's kind of where we're heading. But before we get any further, I thought we would start with a massive argument that I always hear coming up around Christmas, which is good. So grab just a person, you're not allowed to leave your seat, just the people around you, someone beside you. And here's your first argument. Christmas is the best season of the year, or Christmas is just chaos and over-commercialized. So what do you reckon? So grab someone, quick argument, and then we'll get into it. Okay. Let's carry on. Okay, if you're a guy and you turn to your wife, you wisely just said yes to you, right? Am I right? We're well, not silly. Or chocolate, that's my default answer. Does this look good? Chocolate. Did you want chocolate? I don't know what's happening. It's too scary. All right. It's always a good argument, beginning of the, <laughs> beginning of the Christmas season, eh? So, um, so we're doing the first poster today. So um, here's the, first, the pictures of that first poster. So one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal and distinct. Um, and then the other part is God is holy. So I'm going to look more at just that first one um, today, which is why we did the Nicene Creed and why we did King of Kings. What was the name of that song we did right before the Nicene Creed? That one, yeah, King of Kings, because they're both, yeah, all about this um, thing called the Trinity. Um, And this is going to be the key phrase I'm going to keep coming back to. Um, So God is three distinct persons yet of one essence. So God's three distinct persons yet of one essence. So one of the hard things about um, trying to preach or talk about the Trinity is it really doesn't make sense. The Trinity is way beyond our understanding. And when we try and wrestle with it, our brains just go that's wrong, there must be an issue, there's a contradiction, Blah, right? So, uh, as you know, I used to um, work at a Bible college, and when I used to lecture on the Trinity, I did a whole bunch of lectures on the Trinity, obviously, I had heaps of students after the first lecture come up and go, this is the first time in my life, they're like, this are like um, 18 to 26, this is the first time in my life that my brain's actually hurt. I'd be like, okay, bonus points, right? <laughs> um, because the, the Trinity is really kind of beyond our understanding, but it's crucial to our faith, right? And, I'm going to talk a bit about the why kind of right at the end. Um, So this phrase, I'm going to come back to this phrase a bunch because I think this is a cool thing for us to get, and it comes straight out of the the little um, graphic that Briar did for us. So God is three distinct persons yet of one essence. So three distinct persons. So um, they have different wills, they have different emotions. Um, We can grieve the Holy Spirit by our sin doesn't mean that that Jesus is suddenly being grieved. And he's like, why am I being grieved? What's happening? Oh, it's because I'm connected to the Holy Spirit. I have not independent thought. Ah, it's not like that at all. Obviously, our sin grieves Jesus, grieves the Father. But Paul says, you see what I mean, right? They have different worlds, right? They have different um, emotions. They're different people is the easy way to say it. But... They're one essence, they're one stuff, they're one nature, they're one being, they're one substance, right? So one substance, but three persons in there. So I'm going to keep unpacking that. Um, real quick, one of the biggest, um, I don't know, faults, not us, because we're perfect Christians, other Christians, like some of those other churches, what are they even doing? I don't know. Um, one of the biggest mistakes that some people make as Christians is to do a thing called modalism. And modalism simply means that you see God in different modes, right? And so this would be, you'd see in the pre-creation and then in the Old Testament, it's just God the Father. There is no Jesus, there is no Holy Spirit. But then when Jesus came to earth, he changed modes and became Jesus. Now there's no God the Father, no Holy Spirit. And this is the bad thing, remember, this is not a good thing. Um, And then when Jesus ascended, he changed modes and became the Holy Spirit. It's who we have now which is really wrong. And so a lot of the normal analogies we use to talk about the Trinity, they fall into that modalism thing. So we're going to just talk about a few of those. So if you're like, what is even happening? I'm going to say the same thing about 18 times this morning and have quotes and verses. And by the end of it, you'll be like, bro, give me a quiz on the Trinity. I will get one out of 100. Nah, you'll get 100. (laughs) It'll be amazing, right? And there is a quiz. We've decided no one's allowed to leave until you get at least 90%. No, I'm totally joking. Imagine that. If you do want a quiz on the Trinity, I happen to have one from when I was lecturing, but we do not want to take it. All right. Um, one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to make sure, and I, I've tried, this has been a really hard sermon to write, and I don't know if I've got it right, but my goal was by the end of this, instead of us going, oh man, the Trinity is so beyond my understanding, it blew my brains, oh, I wanted us to go, oh my gosh, the Trinity is incredible, And remember, we're thinking Christmas, we're leading up to Christmas, and the reality that Jesus is God, (laughs) divine, the triune God, is just blowing my mind. That's where I'm kind of going, in a a worshipful sense, rather than like, ah, it's beyond my understanding sense. So because of that, um, we're going to look at a a little quote. There's a real kind of, um, I don't know, I'd say a a more poetic Um, reference to the Trinity. So this is by Gregory, and I can never say his last name, um, Nazianzus, Nazianzus, from like the 300s, right? We're all in the 300s, because it's when they're figuring out um, the Trinity and all this kind of crazy stuff. And and it's a very poetic way that he's talking about just being absolutely in awe of this reality that he doesn't understand called the Trinity. And I I just love this quote. It's a little bit flowery, because that's how they talked. 1,700 years ago. So I love this. So from the day where I renounced the things of the world to consecrate my soul to luminous and heavenly contemplation, that's cool, eh? I love that. When the supreme intelligence carried me hence to set me down far from all that pertains to the flesh, like to the world, to hide me in the places of the heavenly tabernacle, from that day my eyes have been blinded by the light of the Trinity, whose brightness surpasses all that the mind can, can, can conceive. For from a throne high exalted, the Trinity pours upon all, the ineffable radiance common to the three. Oh, it's pretty cool, eh? And he's just saying, hey, when I contemplate the Trinity, I, I don't move into a place of like, I don't understand it, it's too hard. It's, I move into a place of like, whoa, this is the God who loves me, who cares for me, who indwells me. It's like, oh my gosh, I love that, eh? Okay, so I thought we'd start with some verses in the Bible that are contradictory, right? Joking, of course. <laughs> they look like they're contradictory, right? Because one of the problems when you get to the Trinity is how can you have three in one? You just can't. It's like, am I talking to one person? Or am I talking to three people? It's like, ah, it's not that easy because they're one substance essence. Well, it's like, how does that work? Is it three different gods, but they kind of, when they finally get together, they're finally really God? Are they all like a third of... How, wow, it's all crazy. So I thought we'd look at some like contradictory verses that often come up, but as we pull them apart, it's like, oh, this is actually really cool. So this is the classic one that you guys know really well from Deuteronomy 6. So this is talking about there's one God, right? Here are Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. It's like, hang on, I thought you just said three in one. What is happening here? Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Um, you read the same kind of formula again and again and again and again in the Old Testament um, that God is one, God is one, God is one, God is one. Um, When Joseph and I lived in America, we had heaps of friends who were Jewish at the universities we were studying at, and a lot of them did a lot of Christian evangelism with their Jewish friends who didn't believe in Jesus. right? And they would often say one of the hardest problems for some of their Jewish friends to get over was they're just ingrained with the fact that God is one. And then you come along and say... Yeah, but <laughs> there's also three. Jesus is God. It's like, what? But the Old Testament says again and again and again, right? And so as you know, we're going to read a New Testament verse in a minute that will say God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's like, how does this all fit together? So the cool thing is, and I had a whole bunch of verses, but we just don't have time. There's heaps of references in the Old Testament to the fact that God is triune or more than one, right? There's just tons of them where God speaks to the Spirit. And you're like, well, hang on, hang on. If there's only one God, how is he talking to himself? What's happening here? Um, there's, there's all these references where God says to God, where um, the Lord said to my Lord, David says. There's all these really cool references the whole way through that when you read the Old Testament really carefully, you're like, I know he's one, but at the same time, he keeps saying he's not just one. Now, my favorite one, which I know you guys all know, but bad luck because it's my favorite, is always the Genesis 1, 1, the Genesis 1 verse, right? Where God says, let us, and you're like, What? who's he talking to? <laughs> let us make people, make humans, make Adam in our image. And you're like, well, hang on, who's he talking to? Is he talking to people? So like, we can't be talking to people because he hasn't created any people yet. So it's like, oh, he must be talking to angels, right? Because he's saying, let us. And it's like, we well, can't be talking to angels because last time I checked, we're, made, we're a margot day. We're in the image of God. We're not in the image of angels. And so then it always makes me kind of go, ooh. It's kind of goosebumply to think this is the Trinity, at the very beginning of creation, talking together. (laughs) And it's literally because they're persons, right? They have separate wills, separate thoughts, emotions. It's literally the Father saying to the Holy Spirit and Jesus, hey, not that it's a great idea, like you suddenly thought, hey, anyone do anything next week? Why don't we create (laughs) humans? It's not like that, right? He knows. But saying, hey, let us create humans in our image. So you see that kind of verse, and you see that that kind of um, really clear little subtle line, subtle thread through the Old Testament that, yeah, God is one, but at the same time, he's not. And it's kind of like, huh? And then, of course, when we get to the New Testament, we have zillions of verses, right? Heaps of verses explaining that God is one, but that God is three. And we're like, my brain just melted. And here's one of my favorite ones, because it's just so clear, right? This is when we baptize someone. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28:19. So we had a whole bunch of baptisms here lately. And are you ready to... Dance with excitement. Yeah, Shirley, the amazing and awesome Shirley is going to get baptised, hopefully towards the end of the month, which is really exciting. Yeah, really exciting. So exciting, Shirley. Um, When Shirley gets baptised, the same as other people, we always put the baptist over here, so I'll wander over here. Um, When Shirley gets baptised, when all those other people got baptised, they go in the water, they normally ask that question, do you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, something like that? And then they'll always say this verse, I baptise you in the name of Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. That's who I'm baptizing you in the name of. And we don't say, I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father, the main God, the big God, and now it's, and Jesus and the Spirit, they're kind of little gods. It's not, right? It's that same, they're all equal. And you see, Paul especially uses this kind of formula again and again and again through his writing, making it really clear. It's not God the Father's the big, main, powerful God, and then, you know, you come down a few notches and you've kind of got Jesus, and he's God, but he's not really as godly as. God the Father. And then you come down even more and you've got the Spirit. No, no, Paul's making it really clear. Matthew's making it really clear. It's God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, all equal, right? You with me, eh? Oh, so good. Shot to you. All right, so coming back to our little phrase that I'm going to keep saying. God is three distinct persons yet of one essence, right? Three distinct persons yet of one essence. So not three separate beings, right? Because they're one substance. They're one nature, um, one being, but three totally distinct persons with distinct wills, right? Um, for God to so love the world, he gave his only son. They're distinct, right? If he's just one, he can't do that in so many other verses that talk about it, right? Um, Jesus was crucified on the cross, not the Father, not the Holy Spirit, even though at the same time, theologically, you could melt your brain by going, but if the one essence, one substance, one nature, wasn't the Holy Spirit also bad die? And you would be like, no, also crucified? It's like, no, they're not. And it's like, but they have to be. If they're one, it's like, no, they're not. It's like, you with me, eh? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully your brain's started to hurt a little bit. All good. Um, a little illustration. I was reading this week, and I read um, heaps of different analogies, I guess, of the Trinity. And I thought this one was cool. Again, this one breaks down, because I've never read one that was perfect. They always seem to break down. But I thought this is quite a cool analogy. So Nick will fix my terrible because I don't understand anything about music. But I read this. So while acknowledging that any analogy of the Trinity is still incomplete, theologian and musician uh, Jerry, Jeremy Bigby thinks that we have omitted on, sorry, we've over relied on visual metaphors for understanding the Trinity, and he thinks that an auditory one may be more helpful. Consider a musical chord as representing three distinct sounds in one. Each is heard, and they make their own sound, but none can be dropped from the chord without losing the chord's own sound. I thought that was quite a cool idea, eh? So three, one, but if you take one out, it's not quite there. It's kind of cool, eh? Um, Okay. Um, So Sarah read these verses before, but I love these verses when we're talking about the Trinity because when Jesus prays, this is from John 17, when Jesus prays this, he makes it so connected to us, and it's not like the Trinity is this... Abstract reality that as Christians were like, thanks, bro. I get the Trinity now, sweet ass. It's like he talks about the Trinity, but He he brings it straight back to us. And I, I love that. So I'm gonna read this again, then I'll unpack it a little bit. Because it's because it's the Trinity, it's like, what? But it's great. So John 17, 20-23 So Jesus is praying, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, which is us. I always get excited because he's saying, I'm not just talking to you guys. I'm talking to anyone in the future who's going to believe. It. It's like, woo Jesus is praying for us. Oh, my gosh. And on a scale of 1 to 10, you all just got negative 5 for joy. But that's okay. I'll let you off. All right, 21. That they, us, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. It's like, what? How can you be one, but you're three? What? I love it. I and them, and you and me. That they may become perfectly one, so um, the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love me. That last line, I don't have time to unpack it, but that last line is one of the coolest lines in the Bible, right? You are loved as much as the Father loved the Son. What? (sighs) Okay, so two little bits I just wanted to pull out. First of all, in that verse 21, that they may be one, um, just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. Um, this is this, this confusion of the Trinity where it's like, although the Trinity are three separate persons, remember separate wills, emotions, etc., etc., um, thoughts, at the same time they're still one. And so they indwell each other because they're one essence, one nature, one substance, one, one stuff, right? But then I love that next bit, that they also may be in us. And every time I read that, this is kind of that where Jesus is talking about the Trinity, but he has to include us in it. And, it's like, and I, I say this, have got to say this very carefully. When you become a Christian, which again could be a journey of years, months, days, whatever, right? When you become a Christian, when you really understand what Christ has done for you and repent of your sin and blah, 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 all that stuff we talk about, In some way that I don't understand, we don't become divine in any sense. Last time I checked, Wendy's very close. Everyone else? Not that close. Um, Sorry, and Josephine's close, my wife, of course. Nah, I've got to say that or I'll be on the couch. Nah. Um, (laughs) That when you become a Christian, you don't become divine, but in a way I I don't understand, you get caught up to become part of the Trinity. Does it make sense? Even saying that is like, bro, that's blasphemy. You can't say that, but you look at the verse again. (laughs) that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I'm in you, that they also may be in us. So in the same way that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit indwell each other, when we become a Christian, we are caught up into the divine. Again, we don't become divine, but we're caught up. which is like, whoa. And then I love in verse um, 23, he flips it and says it the other way. I'm in them, and you are in me, that they may become perfectly one. And it's the other way around. He's saying that the way the Father indwells Jesus, Jesus indwells us. And so not only do we, when we become a Christian, in some way, we indwell the Trinity. We're connected very powerfully and strongly in a very spiritual sense to the Trinity now at the same way they are connected to us. They indwell us, right? So the Father, the Spirit, they're all connected. So he says, in the way that you indwell me, Father, I indwell them. And it's like, whoa. And so I always, I don't mean this in a rude way at all. When someone says to me, it's often, not always younger people will say, oh, I have Jesus in my heart. I'm always like, man, it's such a weird analogy because I literally see a real heart. Going, uh-uh, uh. I'm like, what's Jesus doing in there? That's so weird. But I know what they mean, right? I, I, Jesus indwells me in a spiritual sense, and I, depending on who I'm talking to, if I'm talking to like one of us, I'd push back and say, totally true, but so does the entire Trinity. <laughs> it's not just Jesus indwelling you; it's the Father indwelling you, the Son indwelling you. And it's just like, whoa, crazy, eh? So cool. Thank you, Benice. Everyone else, fired. Anyway, there's so much more in those verses, but we'll be here all day and I'll get in big trouble. So, pretty cool. Um, and then, just to remind us that they're, they're so connected one essence, one nature, and substance, but they're separate persons. Um, I'll just chuck this verse up because it's kind of a clear, um, simple example. There's tons of examples of this, right? John 5 9, So, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. Why? Because they're together, <laughs> they're one. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And, and you can see the, the connection, but you can also see the separation, right? See the separation? They're separate persons. It's not like Jesus is like, I have no separate will. I just have to do... Uh. It's like, no, he's separate, but he watches what the Father does, and he does it. I don't know. I love that. Okay, I thought I'd just give us a couple of um, bad examples of the Trinity, analogies of the Trinity, if that's all good. Um, and a lot of these, like I said, fall into that um, modalism kind of thing I've talked about before. So the first one is shocking. I'd never heard this before, but when I was reading articles and stuff this week, I heard this one, and I was like, wow, that's insane. And the person was saying it as not a good example, right? So it was that the Trinity's like a three-headed giant. So anyone ever heard that one? No one? Okay, shot. You're all good. So what, what he was explaining, and this guy who was writing, he said he's heard this a bunch of times, is that... And again, this is a bad example of the Trinity. <laughs> he was saying the Trinity's like a three-headed giant. Uh, it's awesome and super powerful. And it's like it's got three heads. And so they're kind of separate, but they're one. And it's like, that one is just kind of a terrifying <laughs> image of God. Um, but one of the reasons it's wrong is because, and this is where it gets really hard to understand. So don't answer this question because some of you will get it wrong and then I feel stink for making you say something wrong. So don't answer my question, okay? If you're on the podcast, feel free to answer it if you're by yourself video, feel free to answer. So don't answer. What percentage of God is the Holy Spirit? 100%, right? It's like, it can't be 100%. So what percentage of God is Jesus? 100%. What percentage of God is the Father? 100%. Well, so what? God's 300%? You can't have three 100%, but that's the truth, right? Each of the members of the Trinity are fully divine, totally divine. 300% awesome. I don't know. You get what I'm saying, right? So one, it's crazy, but that's one of the w- ways it breaks down. And you have that same problem with the heaps of other illustrations. So who said of the banana trinity illustration? It's always my favourite. Yeah, the banana. So if you ever take a banana, it's one banana. Who would have thought? And then you peel it, and when you look down, if you push your finger down the top, if it's not too ripe, if it is, it's just nasty, it'll split into three pretty much perfect bits. Whoa, it's the trinity. It's so, like, no, 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 it's totally not now. Because <laughs> each bit is only a part of the banana. Does that make sense? You're with me, eh? Yeah, and the clover is the same. You know, St. Patrick, theoretically, back in the day when he went to Ireland and he was trying to explain the Trinity and he picked up a three leaf clover, it's that same problem, right? Of the three headed giant. So heaps of different examples. Another one, just different, is the egg. Who's heard of the egg? Everyone's heard of the egg one, right? So the egg, you've got the shell, you've got the white, and you've got the yolk. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's the perfect example of the Trinity. And it's like, no, because the shell is just the shell. The shell would have to be, the egg would have to be all shell, all white, and all yolk to be a perfect example, which it can't be. You with me, eh? This is where you're just like, okay, one more, because this is the other one I hear all the time. Now, again, I'm not saying these are evil, because if you're evil, like if you do this, you're going to burn. Yeah, like your finger. Yeah, 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 three bits to your finger. Yeah, perfect, eh? Another one is the... Um, steam, water, ice, or ice, water, steam. He heard that? heard that one? So again, it's really cool, but that one falls into that modalism thing, right? Because they have to be, God has to be the Father all the time. He can't be steam and then he turns into water and he turns into ice. You'd have to have like a container filled with ice, 100%, 100% filled with water, 100% filled with steam, right? So anyway, our brains will fall off. All right. Um, a quick uh, quote here. Now, and this quote is pretty grunty, and I debated whether or not to put it in, but I thought, ah, we're all smart, we're all caffeinated, we're ready to go, we're here to hang out with Jesus, so... I broke it in half, though, because it's a bit full-on, so I'll read it, a little bit of explanation, but it's just saying what I've said, so hopefully it'll make sense. Um, so here's the first part. Uh, this is a guy, Richard um, Roll, has said it. We say the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, in the same way, the Father has the nature of God, and so has the Son, so the essence, the, the being, the fullness, right? Uh, and so has the Son, and so has the Holy Spirit. Yet we're not speaking of three gods or three natures, but of one God who is three persons and one nature, and this we believe wholeheartedly. Now, even though we've been talking about it, you read it and your brain just kind of goes, wait, what? That doesn't make sense. And it's like, well, it's not meant to. It's the Trinity. We don't get it. But you see what he's saying, right? It makes sense from what I've been saying? Okay. Here's the the second half. The divine majesty of the three persons is all one, full, and perfect, and each in himself contains the whole Godhead. So I'll just go back. So that's what I was saying, right? Each member of the Trinity is 100% God. It's not that Jesus is, you know, 33 and a third percent, you know, and when they come together, it's like each one of them is 100% God. amazing. He is equal and identical as regards the nature of deity. And the distinction is that which quite properly accords with the name. Thus, there are three persons and one God. <laughs> what? <laughs> one nature, one substance, one deity. And although person suggests to us a separate being, and here there are three persons, it is not to be understood that there are three different natures. So, three persons, one nature. Pretty simple way. Eh? No, it's pretty confusing. Yeah. Okay. A um, couple of questions for y'all to discuss. So, um, Here's a couple of questions. Um, what is the best way you have of describing the Trinity, the three in one? So is there an analogy that you were like, oh my gosh, you missed one. This is the best one ever. Um, and then second question, when you think of the Trinity, is there one member you relate to more than others and why? Because I've talked to heaps of people that are like, man, I just really relate to the Spirit. I'm not saying it's bad or I really relate to Jesus or whatever. So is there a member you relate to more and why? So if you're visiting, what we do is we just people are going to turn around and have a chat for a couple of minutes. Um, but the deal is always if you stare at the screen, then that means you and God are just hanging out and you just don't want to be bugged. So if someone goes to talk to you and you're staring at the screen, whoops, they'll leave you alone. Otherwise, they will pounce on you to discuss. Not physically pouncing. But, but So maybe do one question or both, whatever you want to do, and then we'll carry on. Okay... Kyoto. ora. Um, normally we'd, I'd get some thoughts and stuff, but we're kind of running out of time, so we'll just cruise on. But always feel free to flip me a text or an email or come up and be like, hey, Craig. Um, afterwards. Oh, I was going to say too, I, I mean this real seriously. The Trinity is a very core cool concept for Christianity and if, it's, if this concept of the Trinity is something you've always wrestled with and, and you're never going to understand it fully because it's beyond our understanding, but if you're like, hey, I'm just not getting this, this is very vaporous to me, or well, it's over my head, I'd strongly encourage you to catch up with myself or Joe for a coffee or one of the elders or anyone who's been on stage and say, could we just talk through this a little bit more? I'd like to understand this more, right? Because I think it's, it's key to our faith, especially because what we're going to do now. So I'm, I'm going to finish by looking at a couple of verses here. So if you've got your Bible, jump over to Isaiah 6. Um, I kind of want to land this by going, so what? <laughs> so what? What's, what's this? The Trinity's awesome, and that was exciting. Great sermon, Craig. Best sermon I've ever had in my entire life. I've repented and walked forward and received Jesus. Now, nah. <laughs> but, but so what? You know, I've got to hit the ground running tomorrow. I've got crazy kids or a job I hate or I'm running out of money or <laughs> whatever. Um, so what? So I wanted to kind of bounce that. So Isaiah 6, and, and to explain where I'm going... I just want us to be aware again of the divinity of Jesus. And again, it, a lot of us, not, not all of us, and, and again, only other churches, we often, when we think of the awesomeness of God, we go to God the Father, and we forget that Jesus is equally awesome, which Graham preached an awesome sermon on a couple of weeks ago. So when I read this Isaiah 6, he, he's talking about God the Father, and most of us will go, yeah, 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 I've read this before, I get that, I know this is God, and he's worshipped, and yeah, I'll read it. It was in the year that King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord, God the Father. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. There's a lot of metaphorical language in here, right? Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. With two they flew, and they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, or God the Father of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. And we read that and we're like, yeah, I've read that a ton of times, Craig. That was great. Um, but, cool. <laughs> I, I expected that, you know. I expect that when I think of God the Father. So jump over to the Revelation one now, Revelation 5. And this is where Jesus comes into it. And it's, it's just good to realize that this, this incredible myriad upon myriads of angels and angelic beings, and you've got elders falling down, and all this is also to Jesus, right? Um, So Revelation 5, starting in verse 11, uh, this is John, and John says, Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and of living beings and the elders, and they sang a mighty chorus. Now, if we hadn't read this before, we'd be like, Oh, this will be to God the Father, because he's the big God, he's the main God, right? But then you read it, and it's like, worthy is the Lamb, and you're like, what? Oh my gosh, so what I read in Isaiah post, so we've had the crucifixion of Christ now, and, and He's ascended. Now that worship has, has changed, and now it's really including the Son. Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered, who died on the cross, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then He expands it. So if we had time to pull the chapter apart, it just starts with the, the elders, the representatives of Israel and the church, and they're worshiping. Then it gets expanded. to All these angels are now worshipping the Father and Jesus. And then he expands it again in verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And it's like, wow, Jesus is really awesome. You've got elders, you know, falling down. You've got countless angels. All of creation now is just like, oh, my gosh. God is amazing, Jesus is amazing, oh, you know, just awesome, right? Um, and so this is where I wanted to finish it, um, with this. So I read that, and now I jump to Jesus and the incarnation, which means Jesus is becoming human and still being fully divine. And I go, Jesus born of a virgin girl, maybe 14, in the outskirts of Israel during horrific Roman oppression and occupation. And I think of Jesus, the creator of the world, the triune God, whose worship, glory, (laughs) being born to someone so poor they offer the sacrifice in the temple at Jesus' birth that is reserved only for the poorest of the poor in Israel. And I think of Jesus who for all eternity past has been a member of the Trinity and love and comfort and fullness of joy and divinity. And then from creation and from the, the sacrifice on the cross, he's just been the center of worship and adoration and glory. It's like this is Jesus coming down and being put in an animal feed trough that may or may not have had clean straw in a barn because there was nowhere for him to be laid. And I'm just like, what? This is the one that we just read of in Revelation where you've got elders and angels and all of creation worshiping and then in his incredible humility because of his love for us. And remember the John 17 verses because of his desire to draw us up in a way I don't understand to be part of the Trinity. He's like, okay, <laughs> Trinity, I'm happy to leave all that and live and die. And, oh. It's just the humility of Jesus is just incredible, right? Incredible way. Yeah, let me pray for us. <sighs> yeah, just honestly, Jesus, I, we've just like not even scratched the surface of, <laughs> of who you are. Um, we just can't, right, understand it. But the little bit we understand and then we realise the, the incredible depths of humility that you went to to bring us into relationship with the triune God is just, it really is mind-blowing. It really is overwhelming. It really is something we've got to wrestle with and chew on to understand. Um, yeah, that you would willingly leave all that. Um, yeah, for us, <laughs> it's just incredible. Um, yeah, I pray over this Christmas season, hey, as we keep looking at the Christmas story and, and the birth of Jesus and, and, and all the stuff we are in angels in the heavens and freaking out shepherds and, and all this, That the reality of who you are and the, the, the depths of humility that you go to for us, Jesus, would continue to overwhelm us, and continue to bring us to that place of humility and service to you. Yeah, yeah. te ingoa o te matua o te tamaiti. Ko in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit.